Hello, and welcome to the Biblical Plotlines podcast, where we explore the story of Scripture. I'm your host, Chris King, and in this episode, we're looking at the book of Genesis. It's one of two parts where I sit down with Desmond Alexander, and we discuss how the family line forms a plot that gets developed throughout this book from beginning to end and unites the book together. We also consider the covenant made to Abraham and how it's traced through to the New Testament where we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of that covenant and how Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 3. So there's a lot to talk about and we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, I'm here with Desmond Alexander and Desi, thanks for joining me. Uh, We're looking at the book of Genesis and the book of Genesis is very significant, not only because it's the first book in the Bible, but also because it introduces the key characters and themes that are going to be running throughout the rest of the Bible. Can you tell us a little bit about the the key feature within the book of Genesis that's going to help us understand uh, the plot development throughout this book? Uh, Chris, one of the significant things about Genesis is this unique family line that uh, runs throughout the entire book. And right at the very beginning, uh, in chapter 3, you have... uh, God giving a promise. Uh, it, it comes in the context of actually uh, speaking words of judgment to the serpent. But uh, God promises that the serpent uh, will be overcome by the offspring of the woman. And this sets up uh, the, the rest of the book because from this point onward, Uh, The author of Genesis wants to lead the reader to the person who will be the one to slay the serpent. Right. Uh, And so you have this expectation created. And then it's interesting that uh, right at the beginning of chapter 4, you have two brothers being born to Eve, Cain, and Abel. And you, you discover in a rather grim way that Cain is prepared to kill Abel, uh, the one who has found favor with God. Mm. And it's as if uh, the offspring of the woman who might overcome the serpent has been destroyed. Right. Uh, uh, and Genesis 4 then traces the, the offspring of Cain for seven generations mm. and ends by focusing on a man called Lamech who also turns out to be a murderer. Right. And uh, you, you sense that uh, as far as Cain's family line is concerned, uh, it's unlikely that it's going to produce someone who will overcome the serpent. Mm. Uh, at that point, towards the end of chapter 4, the, the author of Genesis then jumps back to Adam and Eve okay. and uh, introduces another son, a son called Seth. Mm. And... Uh, Seth then becomes the, the, the one through whom the family line will be traced uh, in chapter 5. And you, you follow this family line from Seth down to Noah. Okay. And uh, you discover at this point that uh, Seth's family line is likely to be much more uh, successful 
in producing uh, an offspring who will overcome the serpent. Mm. Uh, and, and that gets developed to some extent in the story of Noah, uh, in that uh, where, whereas all other human beings are, are to be destroyed by way of punishment in, in the flood, uh, Noah and his family survive. And mm. then beyond Noah, you trace uh, uh, Noah's descendants again just through one particular family line. Uh, you, you, you pass through 10 generations in, in Genesis 11 down to Abraham. Right. And Abraham then stands out as very significant within the book of Genesis mm-hmm. because uh, God comes to Abraham and makes this remarkable promise that through Abraham, God is going to bless uh, all the families of the earth. That mm. uh, it, it seems as if, in some way, the promise to do with the overcoming of the serpent will find its fulfillment through Abraham and, in, in turn, his offspring. Okay. Uh, and then beyond, beyond Abraham, uh, the... the um, the tracing of the offspring uh, becomes really interesting in that you find that it passes from Abraham uh, to Isaac and then from Isaac uh, to Jacob Mm -hmm. and then from Jacob uh, it moves on uh, uh, to Joseph. Right. Uh, Although the the final chapters of Genesis introduce something of a... an element of uncertainty right. because the, the future hope is associated not only with Joseph but also with Judah. Right. Uh, uh, and there's a, a sort of a complexity towards the end of Genesis as to uh, who will be the one through whom uh, the blessing of the nations will come and mm. the, the one who will overcome the serpent. Uh, uh, so what, what begins as a promise just about uh, an offspring of the woman back in Genesis 3 mm. gets developed and expanded as you work your way through the book of Genesis. Right. So all those genealogies we come across and read that we may find a bit boring, those actually have great significance when reading uh, the book of Genesis in terms of the structure and the flow of the book. Very much so. You, you have to be alert to the fact that you are tracing uh, a line of descendants. And w- one of the uh, interesting features of of this particular line is that on a number of occasions, an older brother is passed over in favor of a younger brother. Right, right. Uh, you, you, would have the ex- you, you would have expected that uh, the promises would pass to the one who was the firstborn. Mm. Uh, but in actual fact, in Genesis, very often and sometimes in rather uh, unexpected ways, uh, the firstborn is um, uh, does not receive uh, the the blessing uh, that was given to Abraham. It's actually given to a younger brother. So, right. so in the Abraham story, Ishmael is the older of the two boys, but it's Isaac mm. who's the one through whom the, the, the blessing will eventually pass. Mm. Uh, with uh, Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Esau is actually the older of the two boys. Right. 
But you have that very interesting story of when Esau comes in hungry one day as as a young man. He's been out hunting. He comes back famished. Yes. And uh, he he ends up selling his birthright Mm. uh, to his brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. Right. And uh, this this indicates that uh, Esau does not appreciate the privilege that is his mm. to be the one who will continue the family line. Mm. Uh, he, he doesn't view it as being of any value, whereas his younger twin brother Jacob uh, appreciates something of the significance of it. Right. Uh, now, J- Jacob's not without his faults. Of course, yeah. But... Uh, there's a sense in which at least he he appreciates uh, the importance of being the one who has the the blessing of the firstborn, and and then as you as you trace the story, you discover that uh, other people, particularly Laban, uh, uh, other people are blessed mm. through Jacob. Jacob becomes a source of divine blessing to others. Uh, the Jacob and Esau story, to some extent, gets picked up and continued in a similar vein when you come to the Joseph story, or okay. what we think of as the Joseph story, Yeah, uh, because Joseph is one of the younger brothers, right? Uh, but he is the one uh, who ends up being blessed by God. So mm. even though he is sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, and it seems highly unlikely that he's going to be the one who will bring blessing to the nations. Uh, yet God, uh, in a remarkable way, uh, ends up making uh, Joseph prime minister over Egypt. Right. Uh, and he stands apart from his brothers and he becomes a source of blessing for the nations because the, the nations sur- e- surrounding Egypt and Egypt itself uh, look to Joseph in a time of famine right. in order to be fed. So uh, there's a sense in which Joseph uh, uh, prefigures uh, a much greater offspring of the woman who will bring blessing to the nations. Right. Now, another important feature in the book of Genesis is the covenant given to Abraham. And we see that the covenant is sealed with circumcision. And uh, the story tells us that everyone in Abraham's household, whether they were related to him or not, was circumcised. Yet, there's something unique happening in the story where the promise given to Abraham is really only passed on to one individual, one offspring of Abraham's. Uh, Could you tell us about that? Yes. uh, God uh, not only makes this initial promise to Adam and Eve about the offspring of a woman overcoming the serpent, but you find in the time of Abraham that God then gives to Abraham guarantees Mm. uh, to do with the future. And... uh, this comes to a climax in Genesis 17 to do with the covenant of circumcision. Okay. And one of the significant things about the covenant of circumcision is that it is given in a very special way to Isaac 
Right. Uh, okay. Uh, the covenant will be passed on to Isaac, who who has yet to be born. Okay. And it will not be given in the same way to Ishmael. Okay. And and a contrast is drawn between Ishmael and Isaac in Genesis seventeen. Okay. Uh, interestingly, uh, the sign of the covenant has to do with uh, procreation. Okay. And there's a sense in which it's drawing your attention to the offspring, the male offspring uh, of the woman. And uh, I think Genesis 17 wants to make the point that this family line will be a source of blessing to others. Mm. So other people are circumcised, but it is linked to one individual uh, the, the source of blessing is linked to one individual, and that individual in the first instance is going to be Isaac, and then from Isaac it will pass to Jacob, uh, and then on to Joseph. Uh, it, it will continue through Joseph's family for a number of generations before, in a interesting way, uh, jumping right. from Jacob's descendants to the descendants of Judah. Yes. Uh, and so the, the royal line of David is associated with Judah. Right. And that eventually leads you to Jesus Christ. Right. And this is the same idea that Paul picks up on in Galatians chapter 3, where he argues that the seed of Abraham, who would bring blessing to the nations, was not referring to many offspring, but was referring specifically to an individual offspring, which Paul says is the Messiah. Yes, uh, Paul wants to draw out the fact that uh, the promise made to Abraham, uh, which is a promise to do with the blessing of the nations, right. uh, is made not only to Abraham, but also to his seed, yeah. uh, his offspring, and Paul wants to draw out the fact that it's not all of Abraham's offspring who will bring blessing to the nations, but it's only one offspring. Uh, that offspring, uh, in Paul's argument, is Jesus Christ. He's, right. he's the one who brings all of this to fulfillment. Yeah, so it's amazing keeping that in mind from the beginning of Genesis. We're sort of following and tracing the seed. Who Who is it going to be? And even at the end of the Old Testament, we're still left with that expectation of who is this one. Yes, very much so. And yeah. and Genesis sets, in a sense, the agenda for what's to come. Right. So if you don't understand from the book of Genesis that there's going to be a future individual, uh, uh, and that individual is actually given royal status. Mm. Uh, so, so it's worth observing that... Uh, for example, with Joseph, uh, Joseph is uh, there. There is this sense in which royalty is associated with Joseph. People will come and bow down before him. Right. So uh, Genesis is anticipating a future king. Right. Okay. And and that then brings you to the Davidic dynasty, mm. and uh, ultimately to Jesus Christ, who who is uh, the the king. That was the first part of my conversation with Desmond Alexander. And if that concept of the seed or the offspring that runs throughout the book of Genesis is either new or unfamiliar to you, 
I think it's really helpful to consider how the New Testament authors interpret those passages because Genesis really sets up that idea that from the same parents will come two different lines of offspring. One who is born of the woman and is the child of promise from God and one who is born of the serpent and opposes the promises of God. But the seed of the woman will overcome the seed of the serpent. And so this is what we see then developed in the stories throughout the book of Genesis. And so when we come to the New Testament, uh, especially the writings of John, he really picks up on that concept of the seed from the book of Genesis. And we see this developed in the prologue of John's gospel in chapter 1, where John describes those who are the children of God. And he says being part of God's family is not based on who your, your parents are, what your, your heritage is but it's based on being born of God. And we see this played out throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, where in John chapter 8, we see the Pharisees are are boasting of their heritage coming from Abraham. But we already know from chapter 1 that God's family is not based on who your parents are, what your lineage is. And so Jesus, he responds to them and says, Actually, you are of, you are born of your father, the devil. And so he's drawing out from uh, Genesis chapter 3 that you're actually following in the line, in the offspring of the serpent, not of God. And then when we come to 1 John uh, chapter 3, John is really drawing on those chapters of Genesis 3 and even 4, where in verse 8, he describes how Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil, which really refers to Genesis 3.15, where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that's what he says Jesus has come to do. And then he describes how those who are the children of God have God's seed abiding within them, which again is referring to Genesis 3.15, those who are of the seed of the woman or those who are of the seed of the serpent. And then the following verse in 1 John 3.10, he says that there are the children of God and then there are the children of the devil. So this is a direct reference to those two lines of offspring from the book of Genesis. And, and how do we know that those are coming from the book of Genesis? Well, he goes on to describe the different people that are either from uh, the line of God or the offspring of the devil. And he uses the example of Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. And so John is interpreting those passages to say that the book of Genesis, it follows two lines of seed or offspring, one of the woman and one of the serpent. And they are traced through a family line. And while they come from one origin, there are two lines of people. And this is what we're going to see play out continually through the book of Genesis, where we see family after family, where one child is chosen and the other child is passed over and they become opposed to the child of promise. And so having the family line in mind as the plot line to the book of Genesis will be very helpful in allowing us to interpret those stories in Genesis to see how this family line will continue to develop throughout the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament with Jesus. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And please join us again for the second part of this conversation where we continue our discussion on the book of Genesis. 
and we look at the Garden of Eden and the role of mankind as the image of God. And if you're interested in any resources on these topics, Desmond has some great works like From Paradise to the Promised Land, which is an introduction to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, where he covers a lot of these topics and many more. Or if you have the ESV Study Bible, Desmond has written the commentary for the book of Genesis in that Bible, so you can have a look there. Or there's also different resources suggested on the website at biblicalplotlines.com. So you can look there as well. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share it. And thanks for joining us. And until next time, keep reading your Bibles.